This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host Ajit. In today's episode, we have a special guest, Ritankar, who's well, a cricket podcaster in his spare time. Full time he's a student of statistics. But uh, he's been gracious enough to give us his time to come and talk to us about the ongoing cricketing games as well as events. So, welcome to the podcast, Ritankar. Yeah, thank you Ajit. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for introducing me in the podcast. Uh, truly grateful. I mean, I could enjoy and have an hour to talking to you about cricket. which i like to do because you know the common aspect about um, about us is we are all cricket fans so we do like to talk cricket so yeah thanks for thanks for inviting me to your podcast no worries i've heard your uh, inputs on the murali pod right so and i thought for a statistics student do you also play cricket what is your interest in cricket what's keeping you in cricket like most other indians i started watching cricket at a very young age you know watching Dhoni, uh, uh, Virat, all, all those star players in my young age, and then gradually starting to like love the game. And like all other young boys, I started playing cricket as well. And that was limited only to the school level. I'm not that good a cricketer, but I, yeah, yeah, I, I used to keep wickets uh, in my uh, in my school in my school cricket team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then uh, I didn't get scope much to continue my cricket, but. I didn't stop. I didn't stop watching it, and then after coming into statistics, uh, becoming a statistics student in the last for the last two three years, my love for numbers gradually increased. So there, there I got a link between cricket and statistics. You can actually use numbers to find out these interesting stats and trivia, which I now put on Twitter uh, for the last one and one and a half year or so. So yeah, this has this has been my aspect of watching cricket, of loving cricket, and relating it to statistics. So yeah, that's it. That's the way I I am enjoying cricket all these days. Okay, that's nice to hear. And uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, look, cricket has more than a hundred years of international cricket, and already for you to score through and you know come up with some interesting statistical patterns. I don't know if you read uh, some of the articles of people like Kartikeya Date or a very elderly gentleman who writes statistically driven articles on cricket, for for example. I don't know if you also read these things and if you get any ideas for yourself. Do you see yourself, you know, working as a cricket statistician sometime in the future, or would you keep cricket as a hobby? A cricket statistician is one thing I have kept as an option because uh, that's kind of a dream job. You don't have a certain uh, methodological way to approach uh, the dream. But yeah, as of now, I'm going to give my exams and continue my studies. but will be keeping an eye on becoming a cricket statistician in your future interesting so yeah we really hope you know you get to fulfill your dream and uh, as they say if you do your work in something you love then it's not work it's just pleasure right so we hope it comes through that way for you all right yeah. now if you were to look at some of the games that were ongoing so i think we can start off uh, by touching upon the south africa england tests well south africa unsurprisingly did not do as so well in the second test england you know they they were on the receiving end and almost the second test was a mirror image of the first where 
you know, South Africa batted first, didn't make a whole lot of runs. Then England batted once, batted really big with a couple of strong hundreds and a good uh, near half century contribution in the middle order. And then that did enough that they didn't have to bat again. And they won by an innings, right? So pretty much a mirror image. But uh, for England, the plan sort of came through beautifully with Ollie Robinson getting a go. And, you know, Stuart Broad not giving the getting the new ball anymore. But at least from South Africa's perspective, uh, do you see that maybe they learned a few lessons because they were made to bowl more than 100 overs for the first time on tour. And their batsmen had a really, really torrid time. I mean, look, their 151 in the first innings was also really courtesy of Kagiso Rabada who made us, uh, you know, useful 36 coming in at number nine. Otherwise, they would have been probably 100 all out. So, really, just England bowlers coming in and doing what was required of them? Or do you think it's just that South Africa lost a bit of steam? Yeah, I mean, uh, South Africa came into the English tour with uh, all those chat about the baseball and all, the way England batted, uh, especially in the chases in the fourth innings, they were pretty successful since Brendan McClellan took charge of the test team. And then Dino Gasquet always said he, he didn't want to use the term, he didn't, he didn't want to hype the term basketball before the start of the series. And he did make that statement win against England in the first test and showed that, yeah, South Africa are cap- capable of beating a strong England team at their home. But then, you know, things all reversed in the next game and uh, pretty unsure what, we'll, what, what, what it is going to be in the third test because both teams will be charged there to take the series and will be an interesting game. And the way you say about the way you said about uh, Ollie Robinson taking the new ball from Stuart Broad, yes, that was an interesting move. And Robinson was successful taking a four first uh, in 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 South Africa's second inning. So yeah, it will be interesting to see how things go in the third mm. So how much do you think England will miss uh, Johnny Bairstow? He's one of the architects of this air quotes basketball summer, right? So he's been making big runs, him and Joe Root, right? We saw Zach Crawley slowly yeah. turning over. Uh, trying to make some runs. But still, I think that first innings big total was built on basically the, initially the partnership between Johnny Bairstow and, you know, um, Stokes. Because at, you know, 3 for 43, it would it would all have fallen away for England as well. But between him and um, Stokes, they took the total to about 134, which is very close to South Africa's first innings total. And from then on, they built a huge lead with 200s, right? So for me, Bairstow remained a key player as far as England is concerned because he's sort of that engine room, the word we use, right? He's able to keep things sticking and then in the second innings really come hard at the bowlers. So, do you think they'll really miss him? Yeah, I think I think they will definitely miss Bairstow because uh, Bairstow has this capability of batting deep as well as batting fast, which, which England has been doing in the last few tests, especially while they are batting in their second innings, which you mentioned, but uh, scoring quick runs, that has been Bairstow's uh, strongest point in this basketball era. He also contributed with that important 49, which you mentioned, along with Stokes within that partnership. And England are not going to feel Bairstow missing in the third test. One of the openers have to step up. Uh, I like the way J- Jack Crawley took his time at the freeze, uh, batted two stumps on that day, and de- that, that could have definitely helped him gain confidence. And uh, Bairstow being such a crucial part of that batting lineup, I think one of Lees and Crawley have to step up Pope has to do well. Um, otherwise, England will face some real issues uh, facing the South African theory bowling lineup. You're absolutely right. Their bowling lineup uh, will look as threatening and will remain as threatening with all those three big fast bowlers fully fit. Right? Even somebody like Duan Oliver even can't get a look in with these three really holding forth 
Rabada, Norkia, and Engidi. So, and also the spinners, I think they had a little bit of an off game. They'll be looking to make a mark again. Um, you know, at least especially case of Maharaj, because in this case, they brought back, you know, a home faithful because uh, he had sort of stepped away from South African cricket, but Simon Harmer was brought back in. I think he had a pretty decent outing, but, you know, that can happen. There's a still a big gap when you play uh, international cricket after a while. I think he was still sort of bedding in. So from South African perspective, do you see any changes to their 11? Uh, something enforced or something that might be envisioned or something required? Uh, no, I don't think so because uh, the team that played the second test, the team that played the first test, uh, that's that's pretty strong. They have uh, Erwi with Elgar opening and Peterson was their top scorer in the last thing, the batter. So no question of changing. Uh, the Pacers are obviously the top two Pacers they have in their choice. Uh, Harmer, uh, let's give him some time. Harmer should play with Maharaj. And, so I don't, I don't think South Africa will be changing. Uh, it's not an injury or something. England will have to change, of course, change for best way, but South Africa will be going with the same 11 if not for an injury or mm. other, other consequences. Interesting. All right. Let's see how that goes. If you were to go back into limited hours cricket world, so the Asia Cup is underway. We know this. Looks like a pretty interesting time because, you know, Bangladesh got knocked out and Afghanistan, who, I mean, it's nobody's surprise really that Afghanistan actually qualified for the Super Force. Yeah, not at all a surprise because Afghanistan, especially while the tournament is being played at UAE, there are spinners, top class spinners like Rashid and Mujib, there are players like Zazai, uh, Gurbaz, uh, Najib Zadran. These are players who keep on playing these T20 leagues throughout the year. They have uh, they have given their all playing these T20s uh, for the last few years and especially uh, the last T20 World Cup, the last uh, two IPLs, not the last two, I mean, the 2020 and 2021 IPL. Uh, the PSL, the PSL editions, all these have been played in UAE, in on those Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, and Dubai tracks. And none better than the Afghan players know uh, how these tracks work in a T20 game, um, mm. in, in, a, in a T20 evening game. How the pitch will be dry, how how it will feed, how the dew will be used in the second inning. So not at all a surprise how the way Afghanistan uh, trashed. They really trashed. I can use the word uh, trashed uh, in the Group B teams and. Uh, not at all surprise being Bangladesh knocked out because Bangladesh are not as good at T20 side even on paper. They are a, they are a bit ODI side, but I've never uh, never considered him being a good T20 side in the recent past. So yeah, that that makes sense. So Bangladesh has a little bit of an aging middle order currently. Uh, you know, Shakib himself is no spring chicken. Mahmudullah is there, and uh, Mahmudullah's uh, brother-in-law Mushfiqur Rahim has decided to call time on T20 career. Is that a surprise for you at all? Not a surprise. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously a surprise, but that that that's not a bad call. I would I would say because the T20 World Cup is knocking at the door uh, a couple of months to go, and if if Bangladesh uh, had to get a better time, uh, there's there's not a better time than this because they can they can get a couple of months to get uh, somebody ready in place of Mushfiqur. And if you if you look at uh, if you look at the stats number wise, uh, I've saw some tweets. Uh, I've not checked it myself, but I've saw some tweets that Mushfiqur, that Mushfiqur Rahim. Uh, has the lowest strike rate and as well as the lowest uh, average among all the players who have played more than 100 men's frequently. Mm. So that, that's a bit of a surprise that he has been playing for this long but not contributing that much to the team's cause for all these years. So uh, it's, it's, it's good that he has not been selfish and he has uh, given, him, given him some thoughts that he should consider himself concentrating on the other two formats, living alongside the 20 mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's the right thing that they, they have been not 
knocked out of the Asia Cup and uh, no more wasting time. Let Bangladesh uh, find a replacement for Mushfiqur uh, looking at the T20 World Cup in the coming mm-hmm. month. Well, let's see if, uh, you know, um, if this is actually considered a little bit of improvement because you would give the likes of Mossadegh, you know, all of the young people, right? Litton Doss not being there probably was a big blow. Still, they couldn't make the most of it, right? So let's see if with that change, they're able to get in more younger people and sort of bring a new perspective because the Bangladesh that played in the Asia Cup looked a bit jaded for me. Yeah, they, they need they need new faces and fresh faces. I mean, uh, because uh, even a few months back, uh, the Bangladesh captain had mentioned that they have this lack of uh, ability of hitting sixes in the shorter format, which you need for succeeding in, this, in, in T20. Mm-hmm. Uh, they focus on uh, running singles and doubles, or even uh, even, even there are big shots. They, they, those are more for force, not for sixes. And I personally believe that, yes, you can stick to your strength and all, but uh, you, you can't have uh, that big a limitation that you will not go for big sixes in a T20 match. That's, that's, uh, that's one of the most crucial parts of T20 these days, that you have to go big from ball one in most of the cases. So that's been one point which Bangladesh has been lacking success in T20s. And I think you mentioned about Mossadegh. Yes, he has been brilliant in the last, in his last few innings, coming in late in the order and then uh, playing some crucial uh, knocks down the order. So he can be given a lot of more chances, some more new faces if they can bring in from their domestic uh, circle or somewhat. Uh, they can try on this aspect of hitting bigger shots, making partnerships, quick partnerships, quick 30s, quick 40s. So that can help Bangladesh be a better team in T20, especially from the batting perspective. Mm. We'll have to really see if, you know, Litton Das can come fit in right at the top of the order and you have Mossadegh, maybe Mehdi Hassan. There are two Mehdi Hassans, one Miraz, one Mehdi Hassan. So they both can probably fit into the same 11 because these people, so they have a lot of firepower with their bowling, with Ibadat, Mustafiz, Taskin. You have like a really fast bowling lineup. The problem is sometimes their pace is used against them right so it's about probably being a bit more um, mm-hmm. careful a bit more clever with how uh, the pace bowlers are used in the right uh, conjunction with people like you know mahmudullah can also bowl but shakib is still their main spinning weapon along with mahdi the two mahdis right so remains to be seen how it goes so even though they may have had a few setbacks here uh, bangladesh can still come back strong and pose a good challenge for the world cup yeah, definitely. There's, there's, there's still time to make all those changes and cover the bases which they lack. And definitely they can prove to be a fair, uh, kind of a dark horse in the 20 World Cup. All right. Now, if you were to look at the ongoing Super 4 games, right? So, first of all, it was an interesting game, India-Pakistan, two days ago. and But before that, Afghanistan-Sri Lanka. So, there have been a couple of air quotes upsets, if we may call it that, if Sri Lanka who lost to Afghanistan fairly comfortably, coming back and chasing a huge total of 175 that Afghanistan made. Yeah, I mean, that that was seriously a good chase. I mean, uh, that was a proper team effort, I would say. Nobody crossed uh, 40. The highest was, I think, 36. Uh, somebody scored 35 as well, to two scores around 30 or 31. So, yeah, that's the way they have planned the chase. I mean... Uh, nobody actually stayed there for too long, trying to anchor the innings for too long because they knew that uh, 176 or 175, that would be a challenging chase in these UAE pitches. So they, they made up their minds from the very beginning that they're going to make these small partnerships, which will be actually crucial uh, going into that chase. And they look after the bowlers, uh, the, they punish the poor balls, respected the good balls, uh, 
focused on running singles and doubles on the good balls and punishing the poorer balls and that's that's what makes that's what made the chase easy for them absolutely so but you know the way they tackled the spinners i think so the whenever you play afghanistan you cannot completely ignore their very strong spin bowling contingent mujibur rahman rashid khan mohammad nabi so all these three bowlers i think mujib was reasonably successful given the total that they were defending but rashid khan and mohammad nabi were targeted yeah. so yeah. this is more like the sri lanka of old where you know spinners would be afraid bowling at them because they are so strong at playing spin and i think for once yeah. there there that mindset came out so from a perspective of change in personnel they have recently had you know chris silver would the former england coach take over right from that perspective do you see there is a attitude difference in the sri lanka team we saw a couple of weeks or months ago compared to what they're doing now yeah i think so uh, even i i am impressed by dasun shanaka's captaincy especially he has led, uh, the way he has led the team uh, coming down the order showing the team yes this is the way you want to finish the innings and all playing those crucial knocks those fast knocks and that that inspires the team when the captain does well the young guys get inspired and Sri Lanka has a lot of young guys coming into the team very promising talents in Tikshana Hasanga uh, Rajapaksha and all, all all these all these players who have done reasonably well since very uh, since their debut Nisanka as well so right. yeah that there is there is a change in attitude and uh, you talked about attacking the spinners and why won't they i am I'm, i'm i'm seriously liking the thing that the asian players the asian batters are attacking spinners because uh, that's the way you want things to go because asians are strong in bowling spin as well as pacing spin which has been the pakistan sri lanka and india batters success formula in not in recent past but it has been uh, for all these years now in recent years we have seen uh, top players like virat has been uh, for india virat has been lacking control attacking spin we have seen sri lankan players not trying to attack spin uh in t20is in the last few months as well but yes this change in attitude they needed it because if there should be this thing when spinners are bowling to asian top order batters the spinners should be uh thinking about this yes i i am bowling to somebody who is strong in playing spin who knows how to play spin in different conditions when the ball skips and all so yeah i i'm, I'm liking the way sri lankan batters are taking this chase taking the bowlers one one coming to the game that is currently going on the india versus sri lanka so we are at the break India have set them a must say a reasonably challenging total 173 is India's score so 144 is what Sri Lanka will need to win so on this pitch in Dubai it looks like it's the same uh, pitch that was used between India Pakistan so what do you think of uh, India's bowling chances uh, will they be able to restrict uh, Sri Lanka because well there are some changes as well right from Indian team perspective can you take us those through yeah i mean defending 173 uh, against uh, sri lanka who has just chased 176 against an inform afghanistan a couple of days that will be challenging and especially when you have made those changes in the bowling lineup ashwin will be bowling after a long time he will be playing he is playing his first match in this asia cup uh, he has been brought back into the t20 setup uh, in the last t20 world cup and not been a regular since then as well so yeah will will be interesting to see how ashwin approaches uh, i think uh, Uh, I can talk about these two changes. I think uh, the management had messed up a bit sending Virat at three today. Mm-hmm. Uh, could sound surprising, awkward, but I think uh, look, uh, Rohit and Rahul, they, they are they are the ones who opened for India, who has been opening. Now when Rahul got out, uh, you know Sri Lankan spinners uh, are good, are good. So they will be challenging facing those Sri Lankan spinners. And when you send in Kohli inside power play at number three, that means you have uh, Rohit and Virat out there in power play facing uh, Hasanga and Tikshana. 
So, uh, especially in the last few months, Rohit and Virat uh, have lacked control attacking spin. So, both of them being there, uh, that would have made their chances go low. And Virat was dismissed for the death, and then Rohit settled on those pacers uh, inside the power play, played a very crucial knock. That was that was well set up by Rohit. He he managed to take India out of that crisis point, in which which India faced losing two wickets at the very start. And the other change is bringing in Ashwin. I think there was no need to drop Bishna. He has done quite well in the last match. A young guy, he, he had gained confidence, uh, bowling the stuff overs, one in the death, one in the power play, uh, bowling tight lines. It, it could have brought Ashwin back in place of the other spinners. And Ashwin was mainly brought, I think, because Sri Lanka has three lefties in the top mm-hmm. So that that's uh, the only reason I get to bring in Ashwin in the T20 team. But let's see how it goes because uh, I think defending 174 against Sri Lanka will be challenging, but not impossible. It will be an interesting chase. So, you know, in the Super Force, somehow the chasing team has been the stronger one. So, for example, in the previous game, India, yeah, yeah. Pakistan, Pakistan did a wonderful job finishing the chase as well. As you said, they rightly targeted both the spinners. If I were to offer you a counterpoint, Bishno is indeed looking better and probably the bowler who needs to build confidence is Chahal because he looked a bit uh, bit too much like predictable in the game against Pakistan, right? So, um, he'll want to probably come, come back and come back firing, get into the right uh, sort of mindset going into the knockouts. But you know, it's it's very it's very tough to say what is the right move because uh, Ashwin playing, yes, you what you said makes sense. It was a temptation probably to bring in Aksar as a like for like replacement for Jadeja, right? Mm. But yeah, yeah. what you said that there are enough left-handers in the Sri Lankan top order that uh, it could be interesting to keep Ashwin back in the or give Ashwin a chance in the eleven. This is one thing because for me, not only Ashwin the spinner, he can be a match-winning spinner on his day, right? But it's not just that he's a senior player now and he's played a lot of cricket around the world. And probably his inputs could be equally important for the leadership group, which you could think consists of the likes of uh, Rohit, Pant and Pandya, probably. But uh, somebody like him, the inputs he might be able to offer might be very, very interesting as well. Yeah, obviously, obviously. He's quite experienced. I mean, he has been playing in the Indian team in all those uh, three formats for a very, very long time. He has gathered all those experiences. And... And no question about how good the spinner he is. He's a masterman uh, in the work he does. So a lot of qualities. You have a lot of expectations when Ashwin is on the ground. He can he can take the he can be given the ball. He can be thrown the ball at the toughest of conditions on the ground, and we can produce results. We can keep up to our keep up to our expectations as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that's a bit risky because I am saying this because Ashwin has not been a regular in the T20 team not been a regular you know, playing IPLs with all those injuries and all in the last couple of years. And then you bring back somebody who has not played T20 for five years back into the team and you don't give him chances playing in the 11 against Pakistan and New Zealand in the T20 world, the main matches. And then he goes on to play against Namibia, Scotland, all those matches, which were not significant uh, at that point of time. Mm-hmm. And then again, not being a regular in the T20 team and again, being again coming on in such an important match against Sri Lanka in the Super for a do-or-die match. So, that obviously increases a lot of responsibility on him. All eyes will be on him, but he has all those uh, turns on him because he knows uh, he he knows that there are three lefties in the Sri Lankan top order, and he will be targeting them. Uh, from the other context, Sri Lanka will be looking at Ashwin. Uh, they, they they even they know that Ashwin is playing because they have three lefties in their batting order. So Sri Lanka might change, might make a little bit of change in their order. They will be trying to play uh, right-left combinations at a time, not playing two lefties at a time. Uh, that will be an interesting move. I, I want to see what Sri Lanka does with that. 
whether they keep on playing the two lefties at a time or try to go on with right left combination mm, interesting so yeah it it does remain a very interesting proposition to check whether you know ashwin's uh, inclusion ahead of somebody like aksar could be costly and maybe as you say uh, there, there are different ways of handling the same problem sometimes you say give him a break sometimes you say no let him bowl a bit more so that he gets that confidence but from the fast bowling perspective so bhuneshwar kumar is looking really really good uh, in this tournament so far and along with him arshdeep probably has something to prove uh, he he probably felt a bit uh, culpable in the previous game so there are only two full time fast bowlers but hardik pandya will always contribute do you think the fast bowling lineup uh, will then be able to you know make up if one of the spinners has a bad day yeah that's that's a bit fragile because hardik i was i was taking a bit bait on hardik from the very start of the asia cup he had a good ipl he had a good t20i series uh, leading the team performing with the bat with the ball all those leadership capabilities and i expected him to do well and he started well in the first match against pakistan and but then then he dropped his performance against pakistan in the last game and that that's the way you can think that nobody has the perfect day uh, match after match so when you have two other fast bowlers except hardik bhuvi and arshdeep arshdeep is a very young guy but i think he has all those temperaments to keep himself very calm very composed in the toughest of situations both at top over the bowls two overs at that depth uh, brings all the yorkers and uh, it was really impressive because uh, in the last game we all saw that hardik dro- i mean sorry arshdeep dropped a very important crucial catch mm-hmm. which 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 was the one where, where uh, it could be said that india dropped the match itself there but you know he must have felt the heat of the india pakistan game what it really happened and then still coming in the next over trying to defend uh, single digit score in the last over still still banging those yorkers perfect yorkers a couple of them in the last over that shows that he has the capability he had that he had had that that capability of keeping himself calm and composed in the toughest of situations so uh, yeah along with bhuvi he is a good bet but one among the three could have a bad day and that's where the spinner Well, that's where the spinners important comes into play, and with Ashwin there, I think yeah, it could be, it could be a well balanced Indian bowling lineup today against Sri Lanka. All right, let's see how it they go. I mean, Bhuvi has bowled the first over of uh, the chase by just considering one run, so Sri Lanka are one for no loss. So yeah. this is this is something we will look to even as we speak and uh, later. So. that is one thing but if you were to quickly brush through the pakistan india game the in the super force so were you surprised at how well pakistan chased i mean the promotion of nawaz uh, and other things so for example retaining kushdil uh, yeah. and asif ali back so that they could you know deal those quick cameos ahead of somebody like iftikhar yeah. right so once fakhar zaman was actually out they chose to send in nawaz looking that mohammad rizwan was so well set yeah. and then you know they held back iftikhar who's sort of more steady but then he'd sent the hitters in kushdil and asif ali ahead so is this something we see in the way pakistan management is now able to juggle players it's more like a proper t20 approach where nobody in the top 6 has much of a fixed spot or do you see them reverting to type um, obviously um, these 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 things actually matter a lot in t20 how how much how much a uh, floating lineup how much a floating batting lineup you have in a t20 matters a lot because there are situations like you face where you have a lot of dot balls in a row and then you want to send a somebody who can hit from ball one and that's that's where these type of players become very crucial like nawaz the the role nawaz played in the last game it was it was very impressive that nawaz was brought to hit all those and 
he went on with the flow. He, he knew what he was. He, what he knew what the message he carried on the field, and he he just did according to that, and that made the chase easier for them. Otherwise, one eighty two is a really tough total, uh, tough total to chase on that pitch. Uh, it was it was a challenging total, and the way Pakistan handled after Fakhar suited was really impressive. Indeed. So a lot of credit also to Rizwan the way he played. Even though Babar Azam is sort of not firing at the top, uh, Rizwan sort of built it well. But then the finish of the chase, thanks to Mohammad Nawaz, was quite effective. And then in the end, a couple of cameos that took them home. But you know, India would not feel completely hard done by because they were able to still take the game into the last two balls. And probably they felt you know it was just a matter of one or two good balls. This way or that, and the game would go their way. But yeah, these things you can never, you can never say because you could also say, um, what if uh, the catch was taken by Arshdeep and then Nasif Ali was dismissed? But the remaining balls went into the hands of somebody like Kushdil or even Iftikhar, who's no bad hitter by the way, or Shadab. If let's say Shadab had come, you would think they would have finished the game themselves. So it's it's a it's it's a road not taken. There's no way to say which way the. You know which way the result would have gone, but you know India's um, chances in Asia Cup now, at least, at, uh, will really be very important on how this result goes. This game against Sri Lanka. So, just a big prediction from your side before we close this topic: India, Sri Lanka. Who's winning the game today? Uh, I think India. I, I think uh, this is going to be a close game towards the end, going to the last over or something like that. Uh, but I think India is going to win the win at the end. I think Sri Lanka rely on a big power play. And uh, it'll really depend on how well India bowl right at the top, and then as, as always the last four overs yeah. right in a T20. So you you are right. I expect it will be a very closely fought game, and I will back India to come through because of the experience and you know the quality they have in their bowling. Now, before we go on to the other cricketing topics, I think there was the first ODI today between New Zealand and Australia. So the Australian summer of cricket or spring and summer of cricket has begun. We already had Zimbabwe already there. And, you know, before we even look at the New Zealand-Australia ODI, did you see the third ODI when Zimbabwe bounced back and defeated Australia? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was following the scores and when the match got heated up, I, I watched a bit of Australian batting and then a few hours towards the end when, when Zimbabwe was hit. Mm. Really impressive, really impressive the way Zimbabwe actually took the challenge seriously and uh, they were they were actually playing a pretty strong Australian team. Not not that a few Australian players were resting or somewhat. Uh, Warner was playing, Maxwell was playing, Stark was playing. So the top guys were uh, there playing alongside them. But uh, Zimbabwe really, really, they had a big job to do and they showed that, yes, they are capable of doing these big jobs on a bigger perspective. Look, Zimbabwe, I mean, it would have taken nobody by surprise had Zimbabwe lost 3-0. But again, Ryan Burl taking a 5-R, really surprising everybody. But I thought yeah. Australian batting may have taken the bowling of Zimbabwe a bit too light. Also, it was a dead rubber. The dead rubber yeah. syndrome, as it's often referred to, may have come in. But you cannot take away the credit in the way Zimbabwe... You know, to restrict that batting lineup with one guy scoring 90... I know I don't know if you've heard of this banner, bannerman talk because you're a statistician. Probably you understand what I mean. Do you know what Bannerman talk is? No, 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 I don't. So the first ever test innings played had a Australian guy called Charles Bannerman. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who had yeah, a huge yeah, number yeah. of I runs scored that. by himself in the team's total, right? So in this yeah. case, you can see that a bit of Bannerman talk came into picture because David Warner had scored 66 plus percent of Australia score himself. He couldn't actually top Bannerman, but yeah. it, he came up very close 
on that list i think second or third on that list he came up i think the the, the hashtag that was tra- yeah, trending on twitter was bannerman watch yes it's very rare that somebody scores more than two thirds of the team's runs right but he was very close and in spite of that you know zimbabwe had a little bit of a flutter right at the top but then i think they finally took that odi and it's it's a good build up so zimbabwe always showing they can fight they beat bangladesh in a uh, t20 series at home uh, odi series at home and then coming back and then you know beating australia and australian soil because look then t20 will be played in australia right the world cup so that way i think they have a good basis of what they can expect uh, that's why they got a chance to tour australia and i think they made good use of the time even though they may have lost two games they got to play in a far away place they did not get to play in the regular places not in any of the big grounds but still they got a good idea of what to expect so it will be very interesting to see how zimbabwe fare at the world cup as well now coming back to the new zealand australia game it was a low scoring thriller did you get a chance to follow up on it at all yeah i was following the scores while australia was chasing and i didn't think australia could win that comfortably and thanks to green and alex carey's innings obviously mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it was a low scoring thriller which you mentioned uh, good from players like green uh, who are young into the team uh, getting these responsibilities and scoring the expecting team to the totals and actually actually putting up a point that yes he he could be a very uh, a bit on long prospect in all the formats look i think every time i see this guy i'm more and more impressed so he had a very calm demeanor about him you you just relax the moment this guy goes to bat you know and you see that he's you know he took his time initially there was never any run rate pressure so first of all australia i think it was a tough pitch to bat on and australia did really well to restrict new zealand to 232 and new zealand top order sort of wasted some of the starts that they got and then the lower order couldn't kick on when they needed to you know 250 260 would have been a very very tough target but uh, they were got restricted to 232 thanks to a 44 from glen maxwell the spinner suddenly he comes out of nowhere and josh hazelwood who's been playing um sort of he's been brought back into the limited overs fold now and he delivered he took 3 for 31 so australia again were in a bit of trouble so at 4 for 27 5 for 44 it could have gone anyway there could have been 150 all out so even david warner who's been in such good form was worked out by henry right so between bolt and henry they took the top 5 of australian batting out and that way carry and cam green just uh, you know they just sat there and they continued to soak up the pressure beautifully and they milked the new zealand spinners for me that was the most crucial thing because santner bracewell they were not really allowed to settle down they were not allowed to settle into a length and bracewell even could not bowl that many overs jimmy nisham had to be employed and locky ferguson so you would think somebody bowling 150 plus sort of pace on such a pitch where it's sometimes up and down could be a tough prospect to handle but i think they did really really well and especially cam green he started getting cramped once alex carey was dismissed and maxwell and stark also couldn't make much of an impact so there was again another chance that maybe new zealand could sneak home with a low win like a 3 or 4 run win but there i think a lot of credit goes to uh, cameron green even though he was cramping he stayed at one end he talked sense and then adam zampa finished the game off right so did you did you think new zealand could have done anything better to be specifically kane williams and could have done anything better in his tactics look uh, they already reduced australia to 44 for 5 and that that's great impressive getting the australian top order uh, where there are guys like warner inform warner smith labushan uh, pinch and all 
but then when you get when you get a chance uh, like like this getting australian top order to 44 for 5 then you shouldn't waste on the opportunity you shouldn't have let uh, carry and green uh, sit uh, on that pitch uh, taking the pressure of them playing those balls and then gradually scoring the singles and then coming on to one on one bowlers uh, looking on to uh, attack the spinners gradually but then again you know with a lot of credit has to be given to green and carry obviously uh, not much new zealand could have done they tried their best they, they did start well but couldn't do a lot which had to be done to restrict australia to such a low score right i mean basically the patience won out so that's where you know additional 20 runs could have made some sort of a difference but they they could just sit in uh, and just wait until the bad balls came and you know these days bad balls will be put away so i think carry did the initial hard hitting where uh, you know he soaked up a few balls by the time green was set he was in in a beautiful position to tee off and he did exactly that he attacked the spinners then cam green slowly built it up where he um, continually um, took singles in the first uh, half of his innings in the second half he accelerated beautifully australia still still remains so formidable at home but uh, what about uh, finch and their misfiring top order especially the captain finch do you see time has come that maybe you know after the world cup he hangs up his boots in maybe t20s at least or do you think he has one more resurgence left in him talking about t20s i think yes finch uh, finch has not been performing well in both these short formats uh, but in, in t20s he is really facing a lot of problem in the first few overs when the ball is moving and especially uh, they will be playing the t20 world cup at home in australia but the problem is in australia you will get that get those fast series uh, pitches where the ball will Uh, just move swing they have a lot of bounce and finch could really face a problem there the way he is playing in the last few uh, last few months i would say uh, so yeah he he has to look into this because he has he has the leadership responsibility as well so he can't be selfish uh, taking th- that position for much long he will have to give a go at his chances and then look uh, then see that what he can do whether to leave the captaincy or give him some time off the team and all this uh, a lot a lot depends on the team management as well how they are handling things how they are communicating to them about his poor form in uh, t20s uh, and all but yeah i think i think uh, australia are australian management has always been strict you know when a player is not performing well they they don't generally keep him or her uh, hanging for a long for a lot of time just on the basis of name and fame so Uh, i think i think if the time comes if they really feel the need to remove finch from the team they will communicate him they will communicate with him proper in a proper way and necessary steps will be taken you know it's it's always a bit tough uh, to ask the skipper to stand down not only from his position but actually from the team itself it's more like you know iron morgan sort yeah, of a situation obviously. it's becoming slowly slowly more obviously. and more unmanageable yeah. but iron morgan probably saw it saw the writing on the wall but for finch he's he's also 35 36 so it's a bit of a tough call so it is never that it's never that easy because also he's a world cup winning captain after all right so let's see let's see if he reads um the writing on the wall if he cannot really discover the form and then step away quietly after the world cup right but what about the other two the twitchy brothers as i call them marnus and uh, steven smith Do you think they'll discover form and still remain relevant and uh, important for Australian top order in the T20s come after World Cup? Let's just put it like this. I don't see Marnus being in the T20 team. I mean, I don't really see the need to play Marnus in the T20 team. He is doing pretty well in the Test team. He is doing quite good in the ODIs as well. So they can give a go uh, in the boys. Some the boys who can be actually 
you know, uh, what we were talking about, the Pakistan batting lineup, the floating, uh, the flexible ones who can come in at batting three, at six, at five, uh, wherever the team needs them. So, yeah, and about Smith, I think uh, there has been a lot of talk about Smith being in the T20 team for so long, uh, not not contributing much uh, in, in T20Is, in IPL as well. So, he remains to be the only anchor in the Australian team. So, uh, they have to... Uh, they have they have defended uh, in a lot of time in the press conferences. They have defended Smith, saying that uh, he is the only anchor in the team, and a team needs the anchor even in T20I. So uh, Smith ha- has to look uh, look. Smith is a lot of experience in the international circuit for so long. He has been playing for so long in all these formats, and he has been a very successful player as well. So he doesn't need to completely revamp his game or somewhat, but uh, he needs to look at the way uh, whether his his style of play really contributes to the team or not in 28 and that way he he has to make a bit of changes into his game or else i don't think australia needs them at least australia doesn't need marvelous in the 22 hmm interesting interesting he was sort of brought back into the squad for this game and i think they're trying to see if they can accommodate him he also bowls some part time leg spin but with with the likes of Maxwell, who's sort of your main all-rounder, he bowls spin. Yeah. And you have Stoinis, right? So these two, I think they should be more or less making up the multiple all-rounder spots. So, but let's see. Let's see how Australia shape up. So now, if you were to look at some of the stories from off the cricketing field. So Disney Star have backed the broadcast rights for all ICC men's and women's events in a four-year deal. And 1.44 billion bid. And then it kept going up. The actual final figure, we don't know, but it must be, it could be as much as $2.1 billion, it said, US dollars. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, I mean, I have not been, I've not been looking on to this news, actually. Uh, so can't comment on this, but the way the, the way revenues are being generated and the way this game is spreading all around with the T20i, for, with, the, with the shorter format, all these leagues and all, and the demand in India, uh, the south in the South Asian countries, so it doesn't surprise because those 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 marks those records will eventually be broken in in a very high rate in an exponential rate I would say. So that doesn't surprise me, but yeah, it's 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 quite it's quite lot. Mm, but I think they have a business plan. They plan to recoup all of it and make a profit on top of it, right? So it's all about the advertisement. What you said in the South Asian subcontinent as well as everywhere in the world. So, but look, these are the rights for all ICC events in a four-year cycle that will include at least two men's T20I World Cup, one men's uh, ODI World Cup. In fact, two ODI World Cups, I think. Yeah. And then uh, women's equal number of women's events, right? So plenty that they can do with that. So it's very interesting the way sort of, you know, big money fishes are coming and taking over broadcasting of cricket when, you know, not very long ago in terms of the game itself, 50, 60 years ago, there was such a lot of uh, resistance to making this a broadcastable thing when Kerry Packer started his revolution. I, I, I can't help but throw my mind back to those days where cricket was such a conservative conservative outlook. The, the cricket admin administrators had such a conservative outlook, but then they've come such a far, far and long, long way away where it's it's becoming more and more marketable a commodity. And if they need to crack certain markets, probably this is also a big, big, um, you know, it's also a big factor. Uh, markets like US, China, probably they have these on their uh, sites. Let's see how that goes. Uh, when we talk of the news of retirements, 
couple of surprising ones, couple of not so surprising ones. So let's start with the not so surprising one. Suresh Rana has announced that he's retiring from all domestic cricket. That means he's ruled himself out of IPL tournaments as well as Indian domestic cricket, making himself a free agent so that he can play T20A cricket around the world. Any surprises there at all with the timing for you? No, not not surprise. I would say, yeah, a bit sad, a bit sentimental, a bit emotional one because uh, personally, I have been a CSK fan for all these years since I've started watching cricket, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously a big fan of Raina because uh, the way I, I in my in my early days in cricket, I've seen Dhoni, Raina, and Yuvraj uh, doing those doing those rescue work in the middle order for Team India, and Raina was quite valuable, quite I mean, a very very very. Perfect player with the captain needs. Jonty Rose had once uh, had, had said once that Rana is a is the kind of player every captain needs in their team. He can contribute with the bat. He can he can be crucial with the ball, and he is just valuable with in the field as well. So yeah, a very glorious career I would say, but a sad end to it. Uh, a sudden announcement to his international retirement two years back, and now not getting enough opportunities, not deep being being unsold in the IPL last year uh, in the last year auction as well. Uh, he played five matches uh, for Uttar Pradesh in the domestic T20 tournament in India, side Mustaq Ali Trophy in 2020 season mm-hmm. as well. But uh, didn't do that well. He was facing a bit bit of issue with the strike rate, uh, uh, hitting big shots because he was he was uh, coming back into cricket after a long time. So yeah, all this and uh, especially I've seen Rana uh, been talking about Indians should be allowed to play to participate in foreign leagues in BBL in in the vitality blast and all this T20 leagues going around all around the world. So this is not a big surprise for me because Rana always wanted to play all those, uh, especially since the time he was uh, dropped from the ODI and T20 He wanted to be engaged with cricket. He wanted to play those leagues, wanted to prove himself. So uh, you, you can't, you can't, uh, the BCCI doesn't allow you to play the foreign leagues until you are contracted to any state association or you, you are an international player or something. Mm-hmm. So he had to make a bold call because uh, there are only a handful of years left. Uh, even he can, even uh, if, he, if he wants to be back in cricket, so let him enjoy his game. Let him let him play, even if he wants to play in the foreign. Well, I hope to catch sight of him someday. He lives uh, we here, not very far from where I am based. So who knows? I may catch him in a supermarket. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just curious about how he plans the rest of his uh, upcoming, you know, career and second inning, so to say, where he can play in T20I leagues potentially in UAE, in South Africa, right? In West Indies, maybe now that he's no longer uh, eligible for Indian team selection, probably that opens quite a lot of doors for him. Yeah. And he's no, he's no mean batter even now, I think. So we wish Rana all the best yeah. going forward. This was the one that didn't take us by surprise. But what about Colin de Grandhomme, New Zealand's? Uh, Middle order maestro. What happened there? Yeah, that was that was one of the most surprising moves. Uh, I, I I never I mean I didn't even think of Colin De Grandom retiring from all formats of international cricket uh, so early. He's I mean I wouldn't say so early because he's already thirty six, but still he was very valuable. Especially we have seen in the last uh, World Test Championship cycle mm-hmm. that uh, somebody like him who can bowl medium pace, he can he can come into the bowling attack after the main. Two or three paces uh, get their couple of spells. They become tired, and then the random uh, comes using the older ball, getting a bit of swing in those conditions. He is valuable down the order with the bat as well. He was he was a very valuable test player and uh, quite good in ODIs as well. So that that was something that took me to surprise. But with uh, with the likes of you know Bracewell, especially 
taking those spots in the New Zealand team. The Grandome had a challenging spot in front of him uh, to remain in in that in that group of playing eleven or twelve or fifteen for New Zealand in ODIs and Tests. So something that that might have prompted him to announce his retirement uh, suddenly. But yeah, that that really took me by surprise. Right. I mean, it took the board by surprise as well as what we read that he he had not yet applied for NOC and was already drafted into a BBL team and so on. But I think in his own mind, he had made it up that he probably was done because you're right, you know, the body doesn't recover the same way after your 36 playing test matches asks a lot. Yeah. And especially if you're playing multiple formats, I think it's very, very tough on the body. But yeah, I mean, we wish him all the best going forward. And I don't think we've heard the last of this man. We will probably get to hear about him in the different leagues around the world. So we wish him all the best going forward. Now, quick update on... Uh, the women's hundred, where Oval Invincibles have retained their uh, title thanks to Marizan Cap once more in the final wonderful all-round efforts, both with the ball and bat. So we congratulate the Oval Invincibles women on retaining the hundred. And it was a low-scoring, scrappy sort of a game, but uh, well, Marizan Cap really made a difference for them. So well done them. And similarly, in the inaugural women's uh, Caribbean Premier League, the Trinidad and Tobago, Trinbago Night Riders, as they are called. Women have lifted the trophy once again. This is thanks to some, you know, rivalry between international or former international West Indian players, like between Deandre Dottin and Haley Matthews. So, it was more or less a very interesting sort of a game. Again, a very very low scoring game in a T20. If you think about it, but given the pitch, that the total of a hundred seemed to be very tough to be chased down. There were some big names there. Chloe Tryon was there, and plenty of other names were there, but. It really didn't matter at the end because the bowling of uh, Trinbago Night Riders was way too strong and they were able to defend the 100 and target. So congrats to Trinbago Night Riders women on the in, winning the inaugural Women's Caribbean Premier League. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Ritankar. It has been you know, a nice, smooth chat. I didn't feel that you know we have spent more than 40 minutes talking about cricket and it's gone through so smoothly. So lovely having you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Ajit. Uh, even I, yeah, I love talking cricket with you. Uh, what a wonderful chat. I'm looking, looking uh, to many more. All right. So if you would want to plug any of your social media outlets or any of, anywhere where you blog, for example, for our listeners, where they can follow you. Uh, my, Twitter, my Twitter account is enough, I think. All right. We'll uh, link your Twitter account in the episode notes and our listeners can also follow you there. Thanks once again. Uh, and uh, we wish you as well as all our listeners, a good day wherever they may be listening from. Bye-bye. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.